Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Pete, in all of his love for montages, has decided that he's just going to go watch this montage over and over and over again, and has kind of got lost in the fog over there. So it's just me today. Uh, But today, uh, uh, I'm here talking about Minute 81, which begins with Captain America uh, clicking his shield back onto his forearm. I'm not exactly sure. And it ends with Cap smashing open the top hatch on an Uber tank. Joining us on the show today and all week, we have Will Freeland from the Hype Is My Superpower podcast. Welcome back, Will. Hi, thank you for bringing me back. I'm thrilled to have you here talking about uh, this minute and uh, this week's set of minutes. Lots of lots of stuff happening here. Oh, yeah. Um, and we're, of course, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very busy. We're kicking it off, though, with this montage. Montages. Uh, I mean, come on. It's a cinematic joy, right? I mean, do you, do you yeah. love montages? I do. I do love me some montage when they're done well. Like the I, was it Rocky that did the first or made it like the thing to do? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you could argue the the Rocky uh, franchise, especially. I feel like the fourth movie uh, seems like half of the movie was just montage. Yeah, <laughs> it really was <laughs> so much. Now he's going to be you know you know pulling trees through the snow or whatever he's doing. It's just oh my gosh, that movie's full of them. Yeah, no, they're fun. I, I do enjoy them. And I mean, you know, the thing about a, a good montage is you can get a lot of stuff done in a short period of time, right? Mm-hmm. It's an easy way to pass the time and show accomplishments. And just like, you don't, it, like, you don't have to have a character developing moment for every skirmish. Just get through it, show places that they've been, accomplishments they've had, and then they're a new person when we get to the end of the montage. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, it's a it's a story changing element that you kind of you know use as a way to kind of show how if, or how something is getting done. And what's nice about this little montage, which actually I mean it's taking place over like a year and a half. I mean, there's a lot of time being spent on all of the things that's happening here. And I mean, if you're a, a you know a, a deep uh, person looking at all the different aspects of Marvel lore, there are so many other like comics and other things that kind of explore more of the story of everything going on here with Captain America and the Howling Commandos as they battle their way through Europe, kind of taking down all these different hydro factories and everything. There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on kind of throughout all of this. And, you know, we're we're coming in on this this moment in the snow, kind of this uh this frozen woods where um, where we had seen kind of it was a little bit of a lull in the montage. We get this this moment where they're creeping through the forest, and you know I don't know using some form of super uh, hearing, super super smelling, soldier ears, super, super whatever he's doing, <laughs> he pins this uh, this Hydra soldier hiding in the treetops and knocks him down with this shield. And of course, we're starting this minute off with Cap catching the shield. And what is it? I mean? Do you? It is really early on in this minute, but like right at the very, very start of this minute, all within like the first second, we essentially have Steve. Uh, I mean, what is he latching doing? Is his it, shield back it, to his arm? Is it a latch? Because I mean, I don't, we've seen the back, and it looks like there are straps, but it doesn't look like he's putting his arm through the straps. Right. I've never, I've never seen a Captain America effectively put their arm back through those two like leather straps. But like we saw him in like previous minutes where he like first picks up the shield and like slowly puts his hand through the, through the leather straps. And then ever since then, it's just been the easiest thing for him to do. Maybe it's part of the being a super soldier. I maybe yeah. At one point, we were wondering if there was like a magnet on his back that was like holding it in place when he had it on his back. Right. And that's like here, I'm like maybe he has like a magnetic uh, kind of uh, kind of a strip in his padding on his uh, his sleeve that attaches it to it. But I mean, it, the way that they kind of constructed it, it looks like his intentions are that he's sliding his hand super quickly right into the straps. It just it looks a little. A little silly. And I, yeah, I think what happens here is, 
this is one of those moments. I mean, the way that he caught the shield and everything, it's all CG. And so we're getting what is essentially like a CG shield. And uh, Chris Evans is having to basically act with nothing there and probably moving his arms. And they're just like, well, we'll just put this shield in after the fact and it'll look look great. And And it ends up creating these situations where you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I completely buy the way that this is played out. I've never understood like how any of that ever happens. Like (laughs) every movie that Cap is in, he just like slides the shield into an invisible sheath on his back or back onto his arm or even just the act of catching a flying discus that like (laughs) doesn't have like rubber edges. (laughs) Physically just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Well, we've seen what it does when it hits other things. And essentially, like his hand is essentially, it's hitting his hand, but somehow, and maybe it's just because he's got super hands, that he's able to kind of catch it and not uh, have it bounce off also. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, there's, there's a, there's a trick and a finesse. It's probably on the wrist and we're just never going <laughs> to actually learn how, how, to, how he does it. Right. It's all on the wrist. I like that. That's exactly what it is. I, yeah. It's one of these things, but you know, in the context of creating a superhero, which is of course what Marvel is doing with this film, trying to kind of, you know, have the origin story for this particular character, They're just giving it to us where, you know, these are the sorts of things that Steve Rogers as Captain America can do as part of his powers that he's gained from the super soldier serum. And I guess, you know, the the long and the short of it is you kind of got to buy into it if you're going to buy into this guy as a as a superhero. Right. Yeah. So. So that's where we are. (laughs) (laughs) So then the next scene you have uh, Cap and the commandos running through explosions through trees and. Um, yes, and, I, and specifically I, three of them, it's, it's him, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. How does, how does that, how does it work for you? I mean, <laughs> superhero movies are the only movies where running in a straight line gets you not hit by bullets. <laughs> like when you see, uh, other movies that's usually like a trench versus a trench anytime somebody's running towards the other trench they get taken out in a couple seconds but um i don't know maybe all the bullets are hitting the shield and we're fine <laughs> um but i don't know i i thought i think it's fine the when i see when i'm watching that i keep on thinking back this throws me back to like brubaker's run on cap because <clears throat> I guess I'm under the impression that before Ed Brubaker wrote Cap, he's never used guns like on um, on panel. And he and his I thinking behind it is just this man is a World War Two hero. It's naive to think that he didn't like kill people <laughs> or like use weapons. Um, and so when I see Cap hiding behind his shield and running forward with a pistol that I think of that or like the, any sort of really anytime you see cap using a weapon, that's not his shield. I'm like, ah, oh, brew Baker. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for making cap a little more realistic. <laughs> well, and it's really only this film. And, and I think that's largely their thinking is this is world war two. Let's kind of keep that sensibility with him here while he's in the war. I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, I know he's fighting Hydra, and at this point in the story, Hydra's kind of at war with everybody. But uh, at the same time, we are in kind of the European theater as World War II is is raging on and Nazis are killing, you know, people all over uh, from all sorts of different countries. And I mean, this is very much of that time period. And so having him in here, yes, with, with an actual pistol. I mean, sure, he's still running around with the shield, uh, so he's more protected, and he's a super soldier, and all. there are all these superhero elements. But, I mean, it does feel very much like in this particular moment, for sure, as they're running through the forest, and you just have explosions going off in the foreground, in the background, and you've got you know, debris flying all over the place. This feels like, if, if it wasn't for the fact that he was you know, carrying the shield and wearing that outfit, it feels like something that could have also come out of something like saving private Ryan, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think, I I think that there is an element to, you know, having him in a, 
in that space where he is using a gun in a way ends up feeling more appropriate in this particular film. Yeah. In this shot, though, of the three of them running, one, I think it's interesting. I'm always, um, you know, taken by the massive shoulders that Dum Dum Dugan has, like the way that they built the (laughs) character, his shoulders. His shoulders are so high. I, I love that they kind of built that as part of his character design. Yeah. And my, the other thing that always strikes me, I mean, we know Captain America can run really fast. We'll especially see that in subsequent films, right? And, right. I mean, we saw it earlier in the film as he was chasing down uh, Kruger through the streets of Brooklyn. Uh, but here, Captain America is running and holding his shield and shooting. Uh, Dum Dum Dugan is just running and shooting. And then you have Gabe Jones come, like, force gumping past them. Like, he's <laughs> running so much faster. And he's carrying the biggest gun of of all of them. Like, the, the size of that, that assault uh, weapon that he has. Right. It's insane. And he is going so fast. I, I'm like, what is going on in this shot? Like, I, I don't know. It strikes me funny that of all the people, Gabe Jones is the one who's just like, I'm, I'm so much faster than Captain America here. Right? Yeah, it is. It is interesting. <laughs> Because, like, you'd think that Cap would want to get there first to reduce the potential for casualties, especially for an elite group like the Commandos. But he very much wants to just run in line with everyone. And then Gabe Jones just says, nah, let's get there. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny. Have you you read much of the Howling Commandos? Like, have you followed them in their comic line at all? Ooh, um, not the, like, original old school Howling Commando. So all the Howling Commando stuff I see is, like, flashback, not, like, current Howling Commando. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Other than, like, Dum Dum Dugan had a Howling Commando unit with S.H.I.E.L.D. that were, like, monsters. Oh. And the, it was, like, Howling, as in, like, Howling at the Moon Commandos. <laughs> it was... That's funny. It, it didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> That's but one yeah, of those lines. They're like, "Yeah, what are we trying?" When it? I see, like, <laughs> it makes me. I I don't want to. I don't want to talk about. Um, I don't want to continually focus on what's not happening on screen. But like, uh, when I see Howling Commandos, first person I think of is Nick Fury Senior. And uh, the way that the MCU has been built, um, I, it's we're just not going to get the Caucasian Nick Fury with an eye patch, um, and that's okay. It's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, but Nick Fury was classically, you know, the leader of the Howling Commandos, teamed up with Cap and Bucky here and there, but they were very much two like separate units in the comics. Right. It, you know, it was Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. I mean, that was yeah. the line, right? Yeah. So very much kind of part of the the whole thing with them. And and that was the, you know, that classic old Nick Fury look with the cigar and everything, which is, you know, it was very fun to see. But um, I, I, I like what they do with the Howling Commandos, though, here. Like, I, I thought it was actually a nice use of them to kind of see them translated for screen as that shift as a way to kind of still allow them to kind of end up in the MCU just in a capacity where, um, you know, I, at this point I can't imagine unless it's like a, um, unless they come back as like a, a one shot or maybe, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I wouldn't put at this point for Marvel to do a, a series of the howling commandos and it's all taking place, um, uh, in this era, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They kind of take the, take the place of, like the invaders, which is also fine. <laughs> um, uh, invaders for pe- for listeners who don't know is the basically the superhero team that Captain America was on during World War II. He had like the first Human Torch and Toro, who was also basically Human Torch, and Namor um, as as the main members. Uh, and so there, you had the invaders, and then you had the Howling Commandos. Uh, and so blending them and kind of making the Howling Commandos of the MCU like the best of the best of the best, sir. Uh, and making them kind of the invaders of the MCU uh, works for me. I like it. 
Is that remind me again because my um, knowledge is a little thin on on some of the history of the comics? But is that also where Union Jack was? Yeah, was he? Yeah, Union okay, Jack, yeah. Firestar, uh, handfuls of others. They there is hints with Fallsworth's character as one of these team uh, who he's not originally one of the Howling Commandos, but they put him here as a part of the Howling Commandos as kind of a nod to the invaders. And kind of a hint that, you know, this is the character who essentially is Union Jack, even though we're not really saying as much. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting. So, all right. So we go from this little run through the forest, which is, uh, you know, uh, Jones's time to shine, to this next moment, which is a quieter moment in the montage as, you you know, you have uh, Marita kind of uh, do a little whistle and signal with the light because there are some apparently hydro vehicles coming. And then Dernier runs up with a uh, a bomb. It looks, I don't know, it looks like he grabs a coffee can, but it's essentially a bomb. He runs up, lays down on the road right in front of a, a mini tank as it's rolling by and plants this on the underside of it. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's magnetic. A trick that Bucky uses later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. In I mean, it's future films. If you write down the road, down the line a little bit, everybody, you'll have to wait. But yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, it, okay, so this is kind of Dernier's little time to shine. You've got this mm-hmm. moment for him to show what he can do. You know, he's going to lay down and, and, you know, do this under the tank, blow the whole thing up. And I, you know, I, I love how he stands up, you know, puts his hands in his uh, fingers in his ears to protect himself <laughs> from the sound. And then that little, you kind of look afterward, like he's just so happy. It's, it's a very sweet little moment. Do you feel like we needed a moment like this from each of the Howling Commandos? Like, it's it's a great little moment for him. We see kind of a time to shine for him. Um, do you feel like everybody needs their time to shine and, and this was his and where's everybody else's sort of thing? I think it would have been cool to have everybody's little, like, this is why I'm a commando scene. But where everyone else uses firearms, it's a little more obvious they can just fire guns and get a kill count and be fine but when you have a demolitions expert um i feel like you you do need to highlight them if you're not going to if you're not going to storm a castle how else are you going to highlight a a demo a bomb guy uh on a team with guns and so if you're going to highlight somebody it makes the most sense to do him if you're only going to spend time on uh, on the movie to highlight one character. Yeah, I think that I think that works. And we've kind of seen, uh, you know, I mean, let's see, Marita, we're going to, you know, he'll be kind of the guy on the on the comms in a little bit. And obviously he's kind of doing his little signaling thing here. And, uh, uh, you know, Fallsworth, I mean, they each have little moments here and there. And I guess that's that's a thing with these guys they they're they're well established like you they they each have an interesting look so it's very easy to distinguish yeah, each of them they're all distinct definitely yes something i like about the way that they kind of built this uh you know team which certainly also has that international melting pot sort of feel to it i, I like the way that the team feels um but yeah there are there are moments where i'm like well you know i love this little moment with him interestingly in the script there actually was um, an additional scene right here that um, where I think they were just coming out of a factory and it was Steve and Gabe Jones in the back of a Jeep. Um, Dum Dum Dugan was driving it and then a plane swept down over them shooting at them. Uh, Steve blocked his shield, but then Jones pulls his gun out and takes the plane out just by shooting at it with his gun. And um that, you know, then everybody, you know, dumb, dumb and Steve have a look, you know, sort of thing like, wow, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, so that was obviously like a great moment designed to say, okay, here's Jones's moment to shine. And it's one of those things that they cut that from the script, obviously, and it, it's a montage, you can't have it go on forever. So that I mean, there's, if you count Cap and Bucky, there's seven guys in this team, and you obviously can't have that for every single one of them. I mean, that's going to take several minutes. That's a really long montage, and that's not the point of a montage. But it does make me wonder, like, do I feel like anybody's missing? And I guess that's, you know, maybe that's something I'll just need to kind of talk with with future guests as we kind of follow the Howling Commandos is, did we ever get a, a sense of who all of these these guys are, the five mm. people who make up the Howling Commandos? 
Uh, I mean, as you watch the film, do you feel like I have a good sense of, of all five of these guys or does it feel even to you like eh, I have a sense of them as a team and maybe, a, I mean, I remember Dum Dum because of his hat and things like that. Like, do you have a good sense of them the way that they were built in the film? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> but I get, but I also feel like they get more individuality in this movie than they did in the comics, at least from my perspective. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So my comic book knowledge is primarily of the last like 20 years. So when Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos came out, you know, 60 years ago, 80 years ago, I wasn't uh, spending too much time reading. I haven't gone back and read those. Uh, and so like for me, it's Dum Dum Dugan and Howling Commandos. <laughs> so uh, giving the members in this movie more individuality both aesthetically and then like their like chosen weapon makes them feel a little more like almost an anime uh an anime team or like a video game uh rpg team and that's fine uh but yeah i didn't i didn't go into this expecting to like having like a roster of howling commandos that i wanted to see like represented or anything well, it's not the Howling Commandos movie, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> they are here to support Steve. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was fine. Whatever we get, I'm happy with. Gotcha. Okay. We go from uh, from this moment to um, looking at some, uh, I don't know, newsreel footage? I, I'm a little, yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Propaganda footage? Is, is it, yeah, is it like the the fact that we see Colonel Phillips and Agent Carter sitting in what looks like the movie theater. I mean, it essentially looks like the same theater. I mean, I'm sure it probably was the same theater that they filmed all the other uh, theater bits uh, throughout the film in London. Um, but it looks like it's all troops. It doesn't look like they're sitting here on a day off watching watching a movie while, you know, the, while things are happening. In the script, this all takes place in the Allied headquarters where they're actually watching some some footage that had been shot, which I guess I can see them doing. But it does make me wonder, like, I, I don't know, I guess in modern times, I feel like people do this because the footage is so much like you get so much more footage now. It's so easy to view like they can just pull up a screen and probably look at stuff in this particular period of time it's all film and it's out in the field. So not only <laughs> is it in the field, then they have to go back and develop it. Like once they leave the field and process it and then get it to wherever it's going. And if it's a newsreel, it's got to go back to the company. So it's often months before that footage actually gets out, which is and why so, this montage is over a year yeah, and a half. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, but I guess that was my question is, is like, what, what is the context of what they're watching here and like is this footage that is just designed for the military to be seeing or is this actually something that will then turn into newsreel footage and then be shown to the general public um the way that it's okay we don't know what the entire video looks at but the scenes from the video that we've seen are focused directly on uh on cap Steve Rogers. And so I'm assuming that this is like test footage for making propaganda to, to release to America to be like, you know, this is, this is our captain America. He's fighting for us. He's on the front lines. He's commanding our troops. Let's bring our boys home. Blah, 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 blah. All that, uh, military pride stuff. Um, and so, like, to me, this is kind of like a a screening, maybe, uh, to, like, either boost morale at the base first and then release or, like, some sort of review footage. But, yeah, to your point, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, it's ill-defined. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things throughout this film that it's like, well, it could have been it could have made a little more sense. The thing that piques my curiosity with this is the fact that, I mean, if this is newsreel footage and it is about Captain America, you're right. It does seem to be focused on, I mean, we're seeing the Howling Commandos and stuff as they're, you know, riding in a vehicle. But then it's like, Steve, 
you know, with a map on the the hood of a Jeep as he's uh, kind of plotting something out with Bucky, you know, doing some sort of strategic figuring out of where they are. He's got his compass out and he's looking at a map of, of Europe. This particular map, it's like right around, like he's pointing around kind of the, the border area between uh, West Germany and Belgium and um, and the Netherlands, I believe. And so uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what specifically there. I mean, obviously, he's just kind of plotting plans for taking down another hydro base. But like my sense of it is that like since he bailed on the USO show tour, which was Senator Brandt's you know, baby and and he was Senator Brandt was thrilled that he was able to get Captain America to do all the stuff that he was doing. My thinking is that isn't it wouldn't it be interesting if Senator Brandt has now kind of shifted his planning to say, hey, I have another way to sell this guy to the American public. Let's get these directors in there, these newsreel teams to come in there and capture all this footage of him. Now, he not only was he performing at the USO show tours, now he's out in the field. And what an another interesting way for him to kind of spin this whole thing to sell even more war bonds. Yeah, yeah. And and it's another way to just like save face for him. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He's like, yeah, this was my plan all along. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's interesting. Um, have you, um, I mean, there were a number of prominent filmmakers during World War II um, who actually went over to Europe to kind of film on the front lines. And I don't know if there was this, um, if you've seen it, but there was a, uh, a documentary series done on, I believe it was on Netflix um, called Five Came Back, a story of Hollywood in the Second World War. And it was um, it, it talks about five directors, John Ford, William Wyler, John Huston, Frank Capra and George Stevens, all of whom went over to Europe and actually were making these sorts of uh, short documentaries that would play theatrically and kind of, you know, inspire the Americans to support their troops and stuff. And so that's something I think is uh, very interesting. And, and I like to think that in Joe Johnston's head as he was putting this together, that he was imagining that it was like one of these directors who was actually shooting this footage uh, to make for one of the, one of those documentaries. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting pull from him to kind of you know have this in there designed with that in mind. Considering the subject, I think that makes absolute sense. Very interesting. Very very interesting. So, all right, and now we've got. The compass moment. This is where the 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 cameraman obviously cuts in for a close up of Steve and sees that he's using his compass, and of course, inside of it, he's cut out a little, uh, I guess, like a, from a newspaper, a photo of Agent uh, Carter um, that is there in his thing, just like somebody would wear on a locket around their neck. He's got a picture of Peggy <laughs> in his compass, mm-hmm. and of course, seems pretty irritated that the cameraman is is filming that. How does this play for you, along with kind of the relationship of of uh, uh, Peggy and Steve? Um, I mean, <laughs> it, it's I don't I don't feel like on screen their relationship or budding f- whatever got to this point uh, where he would consider Peggy like his true north or whatever like the reason whatever (laughs) his thinking is behind putting her in a locket or in a compass but i mean it's cute i feel like if we if we wanted to really lean in on it cap was an artist i feel like he would have had a sketch of her um instead of like a newspaper clipping um if i want to be nitpicky (laughs) but um (laughs) Yeah, so to your point, it does if it does kind of feel like it's zoomed in on the compass and especially with the look that he gives afterwards it makes it kind of seem like the uh the cameraman was like, "Oh, who's here?" Um yeah. <laughs> but like the difference in those pieces of scenes versus the first ones is the movie takes up the entire screen. As opposed to us seeing that it's a theater and you can see the edges of the theater screen on our screen. <laughs> um, and so it made me think that it was like zooming. Like it, it wasn't taking up as much of the in-universe screen. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Yeah. As it as we're like led to believe. But then with the like 
what are you looking at? Um, look from Steve at the end. It makes me, oh, oh, maybe, maybe the, maybe the cameraman was starting to like walk towards, cause I don't think they probably don't have a whole lot of zoom capabilities, uh, in the forties. So as he like starts inching closer to the Jeep, Steve is like, ah, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I wonder, uh, I, I I mean Zoom Lens. I'm just looking right now. I was like, there must have been right. Um, they 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 came more into usage in the actually. I mean, invented in 1902. Actually, oh my gosh, that's interesting. Wow, Very yeah, educated. And then <laughs> they became more widely used um, in the 20s. And so yeah, and you know, I guess I guess to a certain extent, it would make sense for during the war for them to be using a zoom lens. Like yeah. I, I, I'm not exactly sure of the, the, of what they were using, but I guess in some way I could imagine them using it because it's so much easier to like snap in real quick to like get a close up and then pull back to get a wide shot as opposed to like changing your lenses and stuff like that. But, right. but honestly, I, I really don't know, but that's, that's actually an interesting, an interesting point that I really hadn't thought about. Also, you know, the fact that you called out the moment where, you know, we're, you know, you're seeing the frame of the movie theater screen and then we cut in almost like, um, you know, it's like, I don't know, Peggy's eyes. noticing right. It's her, her attention it's herself. Right. Yeah. It's her attention. Like, oh, my God, he has me in his compass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then it cuts to her being like embarrassed or whatever. And then when it cuts back to him walking away from the Jeep, it's back at the full theater view yeah right 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 no it's interesting how does it play the moment between phillips and and uh, carter for you do you like that kind of moment that it kind of he it's like he gives her kind of a side eye like oh boy. right um <laughs> i i don't know I, it it kind of gives off this like father daughter kind of feel of just like ah uh, ah uh. <laughs> uh, it's it like father daughter or like bestie of just like just poking at her just being like did you see that did you see that because i saw it <laughs> yeah everyone right. else here saw it <laughs> well she um, does a great job of like doing that side eye to him yeah you know she her, doesn't move her face she, at all she, her <laughs> face there is just perfect and and uh Colonel Phillips's smirk after that, after like she looks over at him, is just it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. And this is also one of those beautiful shots that you know they they obviously fogged up the room a little bit to get that fantastic uh, kind of the streaks of light right over Peggy's head from the projecting booth. Yeah, uh, projection booth. she's framed just kind of perfectly. Like, yeah, and not even yeah, in the center of the like she's off center, but like everything else is blurred out and she's got the black backlight and it's, yeah, it's very well done. Yeah. It's really cinematically. Nice. Very nice. Yep. yep. Um, all right. So we go from this little moment of the newsreel footage to then we're at a sniper, uh, a moment with a sniper rifle where it's a POV. We're looking through the, uh, the scope of, a, of the sniper sniper rifle and it starts on steve which you know i i guess it's it's a fun way to kind of play this um uh quickly this is actually a moment that is in the script and in the script this scene is taking place in poland in february of 1944 so this is still fairly early on now obviously i mean the way the montage works they've kind of jumbled everything up and so it doesn't really matter if it is february or not that's just what was scripted um, and so, but this is that moment and, and I don't know, it's interesting the way that it's set up because you see a sniper and it's right on Steve, like he's dead right. in the sights only to have it move up. And then you find a, a hydra guard and then the reveal that it's actually Bucky who's got this, uh, sniper rifle, really interesting sniper rifle. Yeah. Like at first I'm like, is he using some sort of a hydra modified thing? But that's what I, every time I like, if I don't pause it, I immediately think it's some sort of like stolen hydrotech. Yeah. Cause it's it, the way they like get that lens flare. It's the lens flare, the lens flare. Right. Cause it's got that silver end of its scope and the way the light hits it, it creates that blue lens flare, which we've yeah. only really seen on Hydra stuff. And so, 
yeah, I, every time I see it, I'm like, and what's interesting is like, they came back from destroying that very first Hydra base with a bunch of Hydra guns. You never see these people actually using the Hydra weapons, like all the Tesseract powered weapons. None of them mm -hmm. use it. Like, what are they doing with it all? Just stockpiling it? I don't, I never understand why. And then, I mean, here we see them destroying Hydra base after Hydra base after Hydra base. No trophies. And again, it's like, yeah, what are they doing with all the weapons and the <laughs> tanks and everything that they're getting? And why aren't they not integrating Tesseract? power into their stuff i mean i know howard's exploring it and trying to figure out what the heck to do with it but geez you've got the guns already why not just use them then right it's uh, it plays strange to me that they that they don't use that i agree uh, but yeah that sniper rifle is so funky well how does the scene play for you as far as like the design of it like we start off with with steve in our sights like does it play for you like uh oh like we're looking at a bad guy here only to have it kind of everything reversed to show that it's Bucky? Yeah, definitely. When I watch it, I, I think, okay, so we have, a, we have a Hydra sniper about to shoot down uh, Cap, and then in my head, somebody is going to, like, stand right in front of the of the scope. Like, it's going to be that kind of, like, jump scare reveal kind of a thing. Um, or somebody like Bucky or... Uh, I would have assumed Bucky would uh, jump in and save the day or like jump on his back or something. Um, and then, or it would be kind of fun if it was a Hydra sniper and then Bucky is on a different post sniping the sniper. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, yeah. And then to have it look up and see the other, the Hydra guard and then take him out. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And fine. then the reveal that it's Bucky. Yeah, it, it plays okay. It's it's fine. Yeah. It, and this is, again, I mean, we had Dernier's moment earlier. This is really, I mean, we, is it weird that this is really the first time that we've seen Bucky really kind of doing stuff? I and mean, we've seen him kind of like run in with the group with guns blazing and stuff. But like he hasn't, He this is his first moment that he's had uh, really in the war as far as we've seen. Like, you know, we haven't, seen, I mean, obviously he's been fighting and stuff, but was captured. But this is the first time that he's been like having a solo moment to do something. Yeah. I, I, I guess this is, you kind of have to do this because you have like originally big brother, larger Bucky, as opposed to like <laughs> child Bucky, uh, Robin type figure that you had in the comics. For someone like Bucky, you got to have some sort of scene. You got to give him something. A sniping moment seems a little low energy, <laughs> but um, that's fine. Well, it, I mean, it does. And we never really find out what Bucky's like. What was his special skill? What was he doing as part of the war effort? Maybe he was was a sniper. Maybe this Maybe, is kind of, yeah. you know, his thing. So MCU Bucky yeah, is a sniper. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll see how that kind of plays, like, as far as his military skills, you know, over the series. Like, what else does he seem to know, you know? Mm -hmm. But at this point, yeah, it's it's sniping with an insane scope on his gun. Right. That starts really small. And then just the end of that scope is the size of a soda can. It's so big. Like, I've been looking through World War II um, or images of sniper rifles used in World War II. And... I mean, I guess one difference if you're going to if you're going to call it out as just a change for the film, they're generally the scopes are all black because you don't want it to be a reflective thing that is going to signal to your enemy, you know, accidentally if a, if the sun shines off it that, you know, it's like you like this, you get this lens flare, they're going <laughs> to see that and know, oh hey, there's a sniper up there. So they they're usually kind of that dull black and they're not going to reflect. That's largely the difference, but still, I still don't see any that are nearly as big as that. So it's, I don't know, it's weird to me. I'm not very versed in sniper rifles, but it seems kind of short. Like the barrel seems shorter than I would have thought for a scope that size. Uh, I, I have a hard time <laughs> gauging. Yeah, well, for a scope that size, for sure. Yeah. Well, the end of it seems weird, too. Like it's got like it's got that breaker muzzle on the end. Or, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. Uh, the whole thing is weird to me. It's, it's a strange, it's a gun that looks like it was designed by Hydra, like legitimately. And maybe it does. Yeah. The idea is that, you know, what we're supposed to think is that this is some sort of Hydra sniper rifle, but we've just never seen them using anything like this. So it, it just, I don't know. The whole thing seems weird to me. Agreed. Even though I like the scene. I do like the scene. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Cap's like, huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's a little quick salute. <laughs> it's not even a smile. It's just more, I guess that's fine. You know, if it was a smile, it'd probably be a little cheesy. It's more just like a thanks, buddy sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's he definitely has a, like, shocked look on his face. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> look at that. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is funny also because, like, the idea of of Captain America is, like, like he's got, like, enhanced senses, too. And, and I mean, they don't play that up in the film, really, at all, or in any of the films that he's, you know, I, I think they're trying to avoid him fe- seeming like Superman. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it does make me wonder, like, wouldn't he have a sense that there was this guy there, you know? I mean, it's not like the guy, like... I mean, he's moving into position. So like, I don't know, footfalls or whatever. I don't know. Right. I mean, and it's in rubble. Like, it's not like, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's not, he's not sneaking effectively. Yeah. There's no way. Exactly. Yeah. So again, it's a moment in a montage. It's just designed to show these two are still buddies and, and Bucky's got his back and all that good stuff. Always. Um, we've got a, a brief shot of Peggy back in the Allied headquarters as she is taking yet another Hydra flag off the map. And um, I can't figure out exactly what their idea is with this funky map. Like they've put like tacks and, I don't know, like ribbons kind of all across this. And some of it is, I, I don't know if it's like what the Allies are controlling and what's neutral and what's what Nazis and Hydra's controlling, but like because switzerland is uh mapped out pretty specifically and then beyond that though it's like you can see kind of you know italy and then i guess you got france pretty well mapped out you've got uh uh, luxembourg belgium so i mean i guess it is pretty largely mapped out germany i don't know germany and austria kind of all flow together then it's just this huge thing there so yeah yeah i'm not really sure what the supply routes supply like runs the for the string yeah i mean it does seem like the borders and and so i'm wondering if if joe was just like you know this big map just looks like a giant brown thing on the wall um (laughs) can you can you create some delineation so we can better understand like where the hydro bases are so they came up with something to just kind of you know yeah give some shape to it because i mean if you look at the map this is very different than maps where you know each country is its own different color and so you can kind of very easily kind of figure out oh this is where these countries are this is just like almost topographical it's like i can't tell what anything is it's just a big brown lump on the wall yeah and then uh you've got like h flags for hydra because you didn't want to put the actual hydra symbol and then uh captain america flags i guess for the most recent bases or something yeah it's funny like well i mean you know captain america's symbol conveniently kind of looks like um some of the uh symbols that the allies were using in the during world war ii which is basically like a star in a circle so you know to that end it was very convenient to kind of have a captain america shield that also all you know can say well you know it's the allies we're all working together (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's kind of, uh, but it's funny how prevalent Hydra still is on the map, and you just have those three right. little <laughs> places by them. So you're like, oh well, he's got some work cut out for him. He's got some, yeah, he's got some work to do. From that though, we go to this moment in the montage that I don't know what to call it other than Caps. You know, it's almost like Caps uh, real, right? Like let's let's get some big moments of Cap. We've got a slow mo jump, and then we've got slamming a shield into a hydra soldier's stomach and knocking him back and then cut to uh him hitting a, a shield uh or a hydra trooper in the face with his uh, with his shield and uh, the super backhand and, yeah and then you've got the most 3d of 3d shots in this film and that's with an explosion going off behind him as he hurls his shield right into the screen so 3d so 3d do you remember? Did were you into seeing movies in 3D when they came out? Do you know if you would have seen this in 3D? I'm not. I did not. I saw Avatar in 3D, and because I was like the big one to see it, and there was like two scenes that actually felt 3D, <laughs> and and both of them had to do with like the command tables with the holograms coming up, 
And I was like, well, this isn't worth the extra $2. <laughs> so I stopped going. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, I don't have as much a problem. I, I saw a lot of things 3D. There was a period where I was just like, you know, I, I love the effect. I think it's a fun thing for filmmakers to do. I love like old 50s 3D movies when they were kind of figuring out how to play around with the technology and the sorts of things that they were doing. I know I saw Thor in 3D. I think I saw this in 3D. I couldn't confirm for sure. Um, but I do think there's a real issue when it's a uh, post-conversion 3D where they basically just kind of, you know, run the film through and kind of do cutouts of different shapes and put them in different places to kind of create a... feels very much like a viewfinder, sort of like where it's just cutouts layered. And <laughs> so I'm I'm not a fan of that sort of 3D. And a lot of movies, when they were just doing all this post-conversion, felt incredibly, like, just, like, poorly done like they didn't plan it ahead of time. And this feels like probably one of those movies where it probably wasn't done very well. You know, I, I think the problem with 3D is they decided to do it for everything and they really should have said, you know, let's just limit it to the stuff where it really makes sense and just and make it something special. And they didn't. And because of that, you know, everything was getting turned into 3D and it just shouldn't have. And um, yeah, and I, I, this was probably one of those because then you get these cheesy moments where he's throwing his shield in your face and <laughs> yeah, to highlight the yeah. montage. Yeah, that's kind of it. You know, this is I, I mean, it, it's a very comic booky moment, though, right? Like that feels like something you would see in the comic book with like Cap hurling the shield right at you. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a full page splash. Last <laughs> right, last page of the issue. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, I guess. It's it, it very much like the way that is cut together, though. It's so quick, and you've got these slow-mo, fast hits, all this sort of stuff happening. Was once Then the slow-mo shield toss it's into so this gosh. final moment where it's like, yeah, you get him jumping up onto this Uber tank. We don't even know it's the Uber tank at this point. We just see right. him jumping up onto something. And then you got that speed ramp as he, like, swings his shield around to smash into the latch on it, which... I mean, it it plays fine, I guess. It's it's a good montagey sort of moment, but I mean, this it it I don't know. It feels like we're kind of building to a finale, and I guess that's that's the sense of of what you get here. Hitting the punching the latch off of, I mean, you see at the like one of the last frames, it was a metal like lock that he just like destroyed the entire rectangle of. It really speaks to how well the shield is connected to Cap's forearm. <laughs> like You'd think with that much force, it would like fly off. <laughs> but like whatever they're using to connect those two poor leather straps <laughs> to his arm are really putting in work. Well, it, it also <laughs> speaks to like, you know, whatever sort of training Steve apparently uh, gave himself at some point because he aims it really well too. I mean, it's on his arm yeah, he does. and, and he knows how to aim it perfectly to just hit that latch. And I mean, if it were me, you know, I, I, it would take me three or four times to try swing it down and I'd keep, you know, just off to the side or hitting it at a funny angle. It's like, I don't know. I imagine like when I'm, when I'm chopping wood, it's like, I never quite hit that spot the second, you know, the second time, uh, in the same place. And it's like, it takes practice. And I feel, I mean, sure. It, again, it's a montage. It's been over a year. It's been, you know, a long time as he's been kind of doing all this sort of stuff. But I mean, this is a, you know, I mean, when he started, he was this scrawny guy who never had any training. And his training was essentially all in field training. So everything we're seeing him doing, somehow, he's figured out how to do in the field. Like when he throws the shields, like, how did he know he could bounce it off and catch it? Like, <laughs> yeah, and that poor uh, handle shatters. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it has no chance against that that thing. So, well, that's it for the minute. Any last things that you want to bring up about this minute, or should we uh, come back in tomorrow's minute and figure out what he's doing here at the top of this thing? I'm impressed that they made basically an entire minute long foot uh, montage. Well, not to mention <laughs> what we had last minute too. I mean, yeah, yeah, like they hit all of the like marks for lack of a better phrase like there's your slow-mo there's your heartfelt there's your uh running through the woods there's your explosion behind the action <laughs> um 
you just get a little bit of everything in this montage. It, I feel like anyone that is a fan of montages has something that they can like latch on to from that minute. And yeah, I mean, this is a long montage. You're right. It's, it's I mean, it started about about 10 seconds into our last minute. So uh, it was uh, like 79 minutes into the film, 79 minutes and 10 seconds or so. It ran that entire rest of the minute and all this entire minute, like the whole thing from top to bottom. And we're going to continue it. We're going to finish it up pretty quickly in the beginning. But that means this whole montage is is about two minutes long. And for a montage, I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, it's designed to kind of move you through time pretty quickly. And, uh, you, you know, here we have this this montage where it's, you know, a lot of stuff covered. And it's it, but it's over a two minute period. So, mm-hmm. well, it's a fun one. Um, we will be back tomorrow to finish this montage and see what happens after this. Uh, but we'll tell everybody where they can uh, find you and what you're up to. Primarily you can find me on Twitch. Uh, Silver Dreamer, Silver with a Y. I build sets like lego sets and model kits and book nooks and whatever my wife finds that she wants me to build to add to the house decor (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah uh, a stream there wednesdays fridays saturdays and sundays silver dreamer all right we'll have all those links in the show notes so check him out over there and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute 82 thanks so much for joining me today will thank you for having me and until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.